From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Going on our 14th year on Stand Up For The Truth. Mm -hmm. Uh, Started out as a local ministry broadcast on our FM frequencies and now around the world. I'm Crash. Mary Danielson is here. Fresh new podcast Friday, January 26, 2024. If you go to our Facebook page, Stand Up WI on Facebook, uh, we did post something from Olive Tree Ministries. Um, Jan Markell is not doing so well lately, having some health issues, and they put a prayer request out. So uh, we've got to be praying for Jan Markell, yeah. understanding the times. Uh, been trying to get her on the on our podcast for the last couple of months, and she just had to turn us down because mm-hmm. of her health. Okay. And uh, maybe on the weekends you're noticing some repeats that are going on. So uh, keep that in mind. That's Stand Up WI on Facebook. Good morning, Ring. Good morning. It is headline day here on Stand Up for the Truth. There's a, so much going on as always. I don't even need to say that, but um, in, case, in case you're not aware. <laughs> I'm going to open with a scripture and a prayer. I have a few announcements to make, and then we're going to jump right in. So my scripture today is Isaiah 40. Four and five. And it says, Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wondrous works which you have done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Praise the Lord. Did you pray with me this morning? Oh, Heavenly Father, oh, we come to you as your children, empty hands but full hearts, Lord for all that you've done for us. Um, Thank you for your word. It's just a lamp and a light. And uh, I just pray that we would uh, have that desire to go ever deeper in your word every day, Lord, that you'd build that in us. Help us, Lord, um, when we have difficulties and struggles and that we wrestle with with, uh, trust and we wrestle in our faith, Lord, and you are right there helping us to increase our faith. So we thank you for that. Um, just help us, help us to rely on you also in ever-creasing measure. As we see the day approaching, Lord, we long to be with you. We lift up our sister Jan Markell to you today and just ask that you'd be with her and comforting her and healing her, encouraging her, Lord. And uh, uh, thank you for her ministry. Thank you for so many years of labors for the kingdom. And, and so we just, uh, we just ask and, and intercede for her in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Few announcements today. Um, we have uh, Q90 is uh, coming up on 30 years, which is just such a huge blessing. February 1st is the 30th anniversary open house here at the Q. Uh, 1994 was 30 years ago. I'm still processing that, but everyone's invited to the uh, open house from two to seven. Um, make plans to stop in. You can share a Q story, share a testimony. Uh, check out the walls of history. Meet the snap, uh, the staff. And it says here, be sure to snap a pic in the throwback 90s booth. Looking forward to that. Um, so, and it says take some time and dig out of your best, dig out some of your best pics from the 90s and bring them with you on 2 1 24. Again, from 2 to 7 o'clock. We're going to do a little time travel here at the queue. And we are listener supported and we thank you so much for helping us meet our, our goal. 
this last time at Q Drive in October. Also, uh, Christian Home Educators of Wisconsin is going to have its 2024 statewide homeschool conference in the Dells at the Kalahari Resort. Thursday, April 4th, and Friday, April the 5th, there will be keynote speakers and workshops. Heidi St. John, Israel Wayne, Kim Sorgius, Alex McFarland, Jay Seeger, Julaine Appling, and more. What a great lineup. And there is a cost. So keep listening for details here on Stand Up For The Truth. And also you can go uh, for more information online. Go to chew24.org. That's C-H-E-W number two, number four, dot org. I wanted to get that in. Another thing that um, I know people are interested more and more is prophecy conferences. And there are some around the nation every year. And if you're interested in 2024's conferences, uh, I'm going to give you a list of some of the ones that are coming up on the event horizon. Now, if you Google Prophecy Conferences 2024, I want to warn you, you will find mostly prophetic conferences. Now, there's a difference, and that's the prophet and apostle variety. Bethel is the first one that comes up, and this has always been a Google problem. So be very discerning if you're looking to attend a prophecy conference this year or live stream one. Prophecy and prophetic and prophesy are different terms within churches, and they are used interchangeably sometimes. Uh, and they call the apostolic-type conferences summits. So apparently there's a new height of prophesying at a summit. But we're going to be a little more down-to-earth here. Um, true Bible prophecy, the study of things to come, something the church needs to have a working knowledge of. And it's a great way to get that by attending these conferences. And I'd say attending in person is the best option. But live stream, technology is great. You can live stream some of the best teachers around. Uh, uh, so... You know, whatever you're able to do, I really recommend these. The first one is Proximity Conference. That's this very weekend. You can find information at cctustin.org, uh, also called Calvary Central Orange County, and that's Barry Stagner and Amir Sarfati. Proximity Conference it starts tomorrow. The Sugarland Prophecy Conference, Andy Woods, February 24th, with Russ Miller, Olivier Melnick, Andy Woods, David Regan, and that's at the Sugarland uh, Bible Church website slbc.org also here's a classic stealing the mind conference march 16th Coeur d'Alene, idaho billy crone russ miller alex newman andy woods david regan march the 23rd as a matter of fact calvary chapel lafayette indiana pastor joe bell puts on a great conference i've been there many times it's always a wonderful wonderful time of refreshment um again lafayette indiana erwin lutzer tom hughes tommy ice jack hibbs will be streamed in Calvary Chapel Appleton has two every year. May 3 through 5 is this year's Prophecy Conference. September 6th through 8th, Lord willing, if the Lord tarries, is the fall one, always the weekend after Labor Day. I don't have a list of guests yet, but that'll certainly be at ccappleton.org probably soon. Uh, so that's local. That's in Wisconsin for all you Wisconsinites who are listening. And then uh, Calvary Chapel El Paso, Charlie Flores is the pastor there. He has one in the fall. I don't have any info. I know they just concluded one not too terribly long ago with Jim Fletcher, Chris Quintana, and others. So that's worth looking at as well. Uh, so you can send me uh, comments at standupforthetruth.com if you have any questions about those. But I encourage people to uh, listen, watch, attend, whatever you can do. All right. Headline day. Now, the WEF, I want to let you know I'm going somewhere with all these. All these are linked together, all these articles. So it's a, it's a progressive thing. The WEF, Davos, that just concluded in Switzerland, they just concluded another conference. We've been watching that for years. I remember when Rick Warren was one of the main speakers at Davos. Very strange. They've been on the front burner for a long time. And 
at this point, they're open about everything that they are doing, everything that they believe. Their agenda is straightforward. Now, pervasive evil is not on reserve for the tribulation. Okay, After 40 years of studying prophecy, I think there's been a bit of a naivete about when the world would start to experience tyranny and open evil, increasing violence, you know, God removing his favor or his hand of protection from nations or peoples, and about how far the global economy would be pushed, pulled, and dragged into our lives, or the U.S., the end of the U.S. as we have known it. Now, the Bible does teach there will be a sense of normalcy before the rapture. You know, people will just be going about uh, about our lives. And I would have thought in, you know, <laughs> I don't count in this area, but I would have thought that ended a long time ago. All that to say, this too is carefully measured by God. There's a time frame. And I've learned to let that go a long time ago because there's a turnkey world government and economy forming right in front of our eyes. All you got to do is flip the switch. And I admit I did not see that coming. Um, but this, it's great because this makes this a time of anticipation like no other for those who are aware of these things and those who are watching and waiting with all fervency. And that's why we do these headline shows to give you, uh, more information, uh, so that you can be watching and waiting more and more. But realize too that we don't know where this is going necessarily. We know the high points of prophecy, the peaks. We don't know the valleys. So I want to talk about something. Uh, I want to talk about disease X. I want to talk about the WHO, the WHO. But first I want to lay a little bit of groundwork. And I talked about this last summer, so this is going to be familiar to a few of you that really lays a nice groundwork. It's a run-up, I guess. A summary of the long and very questionable history of synthetic chemicals that grew into the massive pharmaceutical cartel that we all know. Uh, like I said, if you've heard this before, Maybe it'll be a good refresher. If not, I know that when I studied it for the first time, I was a little bit shocked. Uh, so this is just a summary. Um, I'm, I'm going to keep it as short as possible to give you some idea of why we are seeing the things that we're seeing as far as vaccines and, and pharmaceuticals and things like that. So the story starts uh, back in the 1850s with a man named William Perkin. And he was just one of many uh, who was very interested in chemistry. It was a new science of the day. It was an appealing vocation. Like today, people are going into IT and tech. Well, then they were going into chemistry. And it uh, they called it alchemy at the time. And it was just coming out of the dark ages. Now, this was the dawn of the Industrial Revolution. And new ideas were emerging right and left. And those who who saw great changes on the horizon were looking for something that would bring them fame and fortune. And it was better living through chemistry. And he was a bright young student, this uh, uh, William Perkin at Britain's Royal College for Chemistry. And they were looking for um, uh, something to treat malaria for the soldiers of the British Empire. Uh, they were you know, serving the empire in various corners throughout the world. It was a huge empire. Probably landmass alone was the largest empire in history. And they were investigating coal tar at the time for any and all possible uses because there was so much of it. It was a byproduct of burning coal. Um and he discovered, he, actually he was pretty sure that one of the derivatives would be um, a chemical formula that was very close to quinine. So when you hear hydroxychloroquine when it comes to COVID, that's the exact same um, chemical or family of chemicals that we heard about during COVID. Well, here's the world-changing part of it. He could never uh, reproduce that compound that he was looking for. 
But what was left behind in the test tube was a, a, a bit of a sludge, and it was s- such a striking purple color, purple color, that he could not ignore it. Um, and so, you know, lab experiments were producing just something really incredible, but it wasn't what they were looking for, so most people ignored it, except this gentleman. He took a scrap of silk and he stained it with this new compound, and it took to the material, it remained uh, color fast, it was beautiful, it was revolutionary, and synthetics were born. Now, purple and scarlet uh, on silk, that's what the royals in Europe and the Victorians were looking for. No more wearing nothing but black. When you see these photos of them wearing black, it's because there weren't synthetics around at the time, and they were very expensive. Um, you know, but anything, anything that you are sitting on, uh, your jeans, your carpet, your house paint colors, all this has to do with this gentleman and what he discovered. Now, the Bible says there will be, in the last days, a global economy, a consumer and trade-driven monstrosity made up of every product imaginable. And our commercial world was unthinkable before William Perkin. So appreciate your denim, appreciate your carpet and all that. Well, no, there's way much, way more to it than that. He started yakking about what he had discovered, and there were no real patent laws. And so scientists from all over Europe were beginning their own experiments. In Germany in particular, they wanted to have an identity on the world stage. They were a new nation at the time. So by 1876, this brand new nation, Prussia slash Germany, they had 17 synthetic dye companies. And the world was never going to be the same because their top company was Frederick Bayer and Company, and they produced the world's number one scarlet dye. Now, there was a lot of competition at the time, and so Bayer thought they would maybe come up with something else, and you already know where I'm going with this. They they turned out a compound called aspirin, and the multi-billion dollar pharmaceutical industry was born. Then in 1901, they came up with another health tonic made from an opium derivative. Yay, what could possibly go wrong there, right? Claiming it was the best cough medicine ever made, and they called it heroin to reflect the heroic way it made one feel. $5 an ounce. Also, Novartis Labs marketed LSD in 1938 to treat psychiatric illnesses. They admit, and this is key, they had no idea what it did. So, you know, the 1960s were sponsored by these people. In the hands of sinful men, you just don't know when things are going to take a turn from helpful to harmful or from beneficial to toxic. So now we have the start of World War I. Germany has employed tens of thousands in their chemical industry. They controlled 90% of global dye production, and they flooded the market with pharmaceuticals, fertilizers, and paints. They were making chlorine gas to make dyes, and again, there was so much to go around. So militarily speaking, they wanted to come out on top. So they arrived on the front lines in Belgium, World War I, along with 5,000 canisters of chlorine gas. And the cylinders were opened, and by nightfall, over 5,000 Allied troops had died horrible, painful deaths. Bayer supplied Germans with pharmaceuticals, explosives, poison gas, like I said, and dyes. And, of course, this is the very same Bayer that still makes many common pharmaceuticals today. And uh, if I listed them, you'd know exactly who they are. But Germany lost the war. Uh, They were in desperate economic straits. And so they offered to share their fertilizer dyes and aspirin during the global Spanish flu outbreak 1918. And the history has found that unregulated aspirin dosages probably made the pandemic work because people bled out from all the toxic side effects because they didn't say side effects may include. So they thought, well, if some is good, a lot must be better. So making profits off a pandemic pandemic and making health matters worse with synthetic synthetic chemicals 
isn't really new after all. And then uh, World War II, chemical cartel, huge chemical cartel, IG Farben, at which point uh, Bayer made the Zyklon B gas that, that killed the Jews. And they actually made enough to kill 200 million humans, which is the equivalent of the entire population of the U.S. in 1970. And profits? Probably mind-boggling. So none of these gentlemen really were punished at all for what they did. The polio vaccine, that's a whole other story. Back in the 50s, um, a brilliant virologist, Bernice Eddy, found that there was a cancer uh, virus. One of the first, She was one of the first to isolate a cancer virus. And um, she discovered that there was one in the Salk vaccines during the polio epidemic. Long story short, between 1961 and 63, millions of baby boomers were vaccinated with potential cancer. These vaccines changed our DNA. It's part of the human genome. It's been passed on to subsequent generations. One-fourth of healthy adults today have it in their system. Six out of every 100 children born, born between 1980 and 1995 are infected. So it is just a long story of, gee, I wonder what this does. And we are the guinea pigs. You know, let's light a match to the coal. I wonder what that does. Let's push aspirin for a pandemic and see what that does. Heroin, LSD, we have no idea what that will do. So this gas, this poison, maybe we'll win a war. Maybe we'll do some ethnic cleansing too. So 170 years later, we get a new virus, um, COVID. The COVID wars began. What does that do? Well, now that we're on the other side of it, more or less, we have a new one called Disease X, and we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to talk about it in the context of the WHO, WHO's plans for you, and in order to understand X, we have to understand that. So now Dr. Joseph Mercola has some great in-depth articles on disease X and the WHO. And because they're so in-depth, I'm going to take some time here to summarize them as best that I can. So bear with me as I look for the high points so that you know exactly what we're looking for with disease X. It sounds very suspicious to me. What does X equal is my question. So understanding the WHO's plans for you. And he says, many have reflected on the fact that Big Pharma has a perverse incentive to promote ill health as its financial bottom line depends on it. But few understand just how elaborate its efforts to that end are. American podcaster and former professor of evolutionary biology, Brett Weinstein, describes the pharmaceutical industry as an intellectual property racket. Pharma patents molecules, compounds, and technologies, and then looks for diseases against which the patents can be applied. They are engaged in continuous effort to portray its intellectual properties as more useful and safer than they are, to persuade the medical establishment and societies and hospitals and governments to direct people towards drugs they wouldn't otherwise take. Well, that's what all those ads are for during the news, right? So when COVID-19 happened, the industry was more than prepared to take advantage of it. Next point. The introduction of the mRNA platform technology was central to the entire COVID response. This technology has a lethal flaw that would prevent it from getting to the market under normal circumstances. The pandemic allowed pharma to bypass this obstacle and deploy this incredibly lucrative technology. By way of amendments to the international health regulations and the pandemic treaty, the WHO seeks to achieve global dominion and total control of the masses under the guise of public health. Now, this this interview with Brett uh, Weinstein with Tucker Carlson originally aired on January 5th, 2024. I did watch it. It's excellent. It's only on Rumble. But again, it's, it's Brett, one T, Weinstein, and Tucker Carlson. 
Uh, as they discuss uh, the COVID-19 pandemic and the game of Big Pharma uh, and the catastrophic effects of the mRNA shots, WHO's plan for humanity going forward, they talk about that too. Um, he, he believed himself, Brett believed himself to be an expert in the drug industry, but during the last four years, he found himself being schooled and many facets of the industry were not at all what he imagined. Um, he says, I think what most of us did not realize is how elaborate the bag of tricks is and what the nature of the bag of tricks is. It's an intellectual property racket. Um, he says, uh, the industry's profits rise to the extent that, okay, number one, the disease is widespread. So all these points are um, tell you exactly what they are looking at to increase their profits. Number one, the disease must be widespread. The de- disease must be serious. Competing, dr- competing drugs are deemed unsafe or ineffective. Four, the government will mandate the drug. And five, the medical establishment will declare it the standard of care. So, uh, again, they're, they're trying to portray the intellectual properties that pharma has patented as more useful and safe than they are. Um, let's see here. I'm going I'm to make sure that I don't drag this up too long because I want to bring some main points home so we can talk about disease X. Okay, in a supplementary commentary uh, about and to this interview, Jeffrey Tucker, founder of the Brownstone Institute, says, The bigger picture, the ominous reality, was slow to dawn on me, namely that mRNA was central to the entire COVID response. Without understanding that, we missed the forest for the trees. It was the driving motivation for the lockdowns and the absurd prolongation. Fifteen days, right, to flatten the curve? What a What a lie. When you consider the scale of the damage, this is Jeffrey Tucker again, to the whole society and the entire world for the purposes of patent piracy and fast-tracking a technological deployment, one almost cannot imagine that any government could be so captured and so corrupt. It stretches the bounds of plausibility, and yet here we are. And Brett goes into some of the numbers of people that he feels, uh, humans that have lost their lives over this, and it's it's mind-boggling. Um, and then he says a relatively small number of alternative media voices were fortunately able to educate enough people about the harms such that booster uptake has dropped off the proverbial cliff. I can't say that I'm not happy about that. He said the problem we now face is that the WHO in its amendments to the international health regulators and the international pandemic treaty is seeking to gain control over all media worldwide. So there's another angle to this. If the IHRs and the treaty go through, the WHO would have the sole authority to decide what medical truth is, and all countries would be obliged to censor accordingly by whatever means necessary. Consider, okay, listen to this, consider how crucial alternative news has been in waking people up to the realities of COVID. What will happen if we're forced to face another pandemic without them? You could say that free speech, at least within the context of health and medicine, is a matter of life and death. And if scientific debate and opposing views are eliminated, the death toll will be even greater than we've seen already. So the WHO can declare um, a public health emergency on any basis without any evidence, and then they can mandate remedies that member states will be required to implement. And our lives, you know, would come to a grinding halt, is, is what I'm guessing here, because there would be vaccine mandates, travel restrictions, which drugs can and cannot be used, censorship of everything that does not comply. Now, the 77th World Health Assembly, during which these IHR amendments and pandemic treaty will be voted on, is scheduled for May 27th this year. 
They will only require a 50% vote of whomever is in the room at the time of the vote. However, the IHR Amendments Working Group must submit their final package of amendments by tomorrow, January 27th, I guess. Uh, if the final version of the amendments has not been properly submitted by tomorrow, they don't have the legal right to vote on them. Um, is there any good news? Well, you know, it's funny because um, scientists, research, and medical professionals, academics, journalists from all stripes, conservatives, Christians, who dared to speak out against the official COVID uh, narrative were ousted from their platforms. And, of course, that's that's just tragic and and. and I just can't understand that. Well, well, no, I do understand it, but uh, it was it was shocking. And it says here, as a result, we now have a dream team of every player you could possibly want on your team to fight some historical battle against this terrible evil, uh, Weinstein says. All these experts now form a huge counterforce of correct information, and they are not going away. Good for them. So to prevent this global coup, we need everyone to speak and share the truth to the point that you're able so basically, the WHO Treaty uh, threatens national sovereignty. It equates the health of humans with animals and plants. So life is life. And we are made in God's image. The animals and plants are not. So there's, a, there's an epic fail there already. It calls on nations to combat misinformation, anything that reduces the trust in the government, which is probably at an all-time low anyway, so I don't know how you can get any lower. It would empower private sector forces such as social media companies to ramp up censorship of disfavored viewpoints. It would empower, uh, it worries that citizens will have too much information about pandemics. Well, too bad. Supports quotas and gender diversity, of course. Uh, aims to create equity driven national healthcare systems around the globe. So that's just a bit of a summary. Um, the Biden administration lobbied who to rename the pandemic treaty so it can adopt the measure without the Senate's ratification, which a real live treaty requires. Uh, the U.S. joined the WHO in 1948. Uh, and so then in 2021, the WHO members called for a new international pandemic treaty. So it, they began to draft it in 21, 22. And the Biden administration said they could not win ratification as required by the Constitution. But what, what difference does that make? We'll just go around it. We'll just uh, do a sidestep here like they're doing in Texas. Um, so they've been negotiating all along, and 194 member nations will vote on it. Um, coming up very quickly. So that's something worth keeping an eye on. I imagine it will go through. Mercola also has another article that I'm going to just start here, and then when the break happens uh, in two minutes, I'm going to uh, come back to it. Because this is also Mercola, but this is a great extensive article. Another one, will disease X be leaked in 2025? You know they're looking for a disease to use their patents on and to use their answers, their mRNA shots, et cetera, et cetera. The WHO's pandemic treaty is the gateway to a global top-down totalitarian regime, one world government. We can be sure there will be additional pandemics, whether manufactured using fear and hype alone or an actual bioweapon created for this purpose. Because the takeover plan, also known as the Great Reset, is based on the premise that we need global biosecurity surveillance and a centralized response. He says a new contagion will be born likely in 2025. The media is already preparing us for it. Um, in uh, Davos, oh, this must have been Davos, January 15th to 19th this year. Yes, uh, they met in Davos where the key topic was preparing for disease X. 
a hypothetical new pandemic. And it is predicted to kill 20 times more people than COVID-19. Uh, in August of 2023, a new research facility was set up in Wiltshire, England to begin to work on a vaccine for X. The U.S. Congress introduced the Disease X Act of 2023, which is H.R. 3832, in June of 2023. The bill calls for the establishment of a program to develop medical coronal measures for viral threats. Uh, they've been working on a potential Disease X since 2017. Um, they had a public speakers for Disease X event. This was again Davos, uh, where the director general of the WHO, I can't say his name, so we'll leave it at that. And, uh, Michael Damare, chair of the board of AstraZeneca. Wow, how convenient is that? Um, the WHO brought together in 2022 over 300 scientists to consider which, okay, get this, which of over 25 virus families and bacteria could potentially <laughs> create another pandemic they, they must think we're incredibly stupid but anyway the list the team came up with uh, included ebola marburg covid19 sars MERS-CoV, which is a middle east one also nipa uh, lhasa zika and an unknown disease x anyway i'm going to continue this as we go because we want to talk a little bit more about how they've been working towards this uh, you're listening to Stand Up For The Truth. It's Headline Friday. My name is Mary Danielson, and I'm going to be back in two minutes, and we're going to talk some more. Stand by. Our social media pages are shadow banned. Thanks for your prayers and sharing our posts at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth for Friday. And uh, we're talking about the WHO pandemic treaty that's coming up this spring. We're talking about Disease X. The X doesn't actually mean unknown. It means uh, unexpected. <laughs> I don't know. It's so hard to put your finger on what the biggest lie is about all this. But they have had COVID dress rehearsals. And some of you have heard of this. Uh, back in 2017, John Hopkins Center of Health Security, they had a co coronavirus pandemic simulation called the SPARS Pandemic 2025-28 to 28 Scenario, uh, October 2019, right before uh, COVID showed up on our shores. Bill and Melinda Gates, in collaboration with John Hopkins and the WEF, hosted what they called Event 201. Um, anyway, it, all these things were, were meant to tell you that, well, not tell us, we did find out. We did find out early in 2020 that they had done this. I was really, really shocked, actually. But there was another one in March 2021. We were just kind of getting over all that, and they wanted to uh, tell us that monkeypox was going to be the next, which, of course, it was not. But they had, in March 2021, an outbreak of an unusual, quote, an unusual strain of monkeypox virus, and that was simulated. Uh, the WHO director general declared that a multi-country outbreak constituted a public health emergency of international concern. A lot of big words there. Uh, October 2023. They just don't, uh, they don't, they're not going to stop doing this. Gates, John Hopkins, and who? I see a pattern here. Co-hosted a global challenge exercise dubbed catastrophic contagion involving a fictional pathogen um, called SEERS25. And, of course, why do they do this? Well, for a lot of reasons. But they're doing vaccine drug trials for another one called the Nipah virus, N-I-P-A-H, it bears some, resent, uh, some resemblance to the fictional Sears 25. 
It has a kill rate of 75% in survivors oftentimes long-term, long-term neurological issues. And so human trials for a vaccine against the deadly Nipah virus were recently launched. Surprise, surprise. Not too long ago, um, in fact, very, very recently, there was a Masterpiece Theater PBS program um, that was on the air. And I don't think they've run it again. It was from 2009, sort of an action-adventure kind of slash sci-fi thing. But we really sort of... Uh, we're surprised to hear them use terms like the jab. Again, 2009. Um, don't take the jab because of uh, it will kill everyone who takes the jab. And so just listening to this between these characters back in 2009 was just really, really surprising. I know there are other examples of that sort of thing uh, out there, of various media and, and movies and such that have seemed to know more than we do at the time. Uh, then it devolved into a... Um, what they call it, an ethnic bomb, where it only killed people with certain DNA markers. And it would have a tag. You would take this jab. It would have a tag. It would have a computer chip. They'd follow you, et cetera, et cetera. But they also knew what your DNA was. And if they decided that you should not live, it would. It was an ethnic bomb, basically a Middle Eastern ethnic bomb. So that's very, very interesting. We, we thought that was, that was a, sort of an amazing thing to watch. Um, it took 362 days to develop the COVID-19 vaccine, but they want to reduce the time here to 100 days. And, of course, they're not going to be testing anything. Um, well, they say they will, but they won't. Uh, U.S. Congress also introduced Disease Act uh, X. I think I mentioned this, Disease X Act of 2023 back in June. And then it closes with this Mercola article, Why Manufactured Pandemics Will Continue. Um, it's, again, globalism, seize power of the entire world. I can't believe we're seeing this or saying it. Um, fear and hype. They're, gonna, they're just going to use fear and hype. And uh, he says, he goes on to say, and I know he's not a believer, uh, Dr. Mercola, but he says we're already suffering under a pseudo one-world government in the form of Bill Gates's NGOs. They're making healthcare decisions that should be left to individuals, uh, individual nations, states, people. Informed consent, there's another great article out there, I can't recall who, who put it out, that says informed consent, uh, those days are over when it comes to even going to your own doctor. And I know the medical community has changed, um, but I didn't think it would change that, change that appreciably or that you could actually sense that things are very, very different in the medical community. And you're not wrong about that. So, again, par- target date of 2025 for disease X. Um, disease unexpected. So just some notes there from Dr. Mercola on that. I want to switch gears and talk about the great state of Texas because of Governor Greg Abbott's actions. Uh, he continues to do battle with the Biden admin and the gross incompetence of the feds in the area of illegal immigration. Um, on January 2020, uh, on January 24th, 24, uh, Governor Abbott issued a statement about his position um, and doing business with the feds. And this is very interesting, and I don't know where it's going to go, but I do want to read this statement because uh, good for him. Uh, he is He's holding the line. Governor Greg Abbott, January 24th. The federal government has broken the compact between the U.S. and the states. The executive branch of the United States has a constitutional duty to enforce federal laws protecting states, 
including immigration laws on the books right now. President Biden has refused to enforce these laws and has even violated them. The result is that he has smashed records for illegal immigration. Despite having been put on notice in a series of letters, one of which I delivered to him by hand, Biden has ignored Texas's demand that he perform his constitutional duties. Number one, President Biden has violated his oath to faithfully execute immigration laws enacted by Congress. Instead of prosecuting immigrants for the federal crime of illegal entry, President Biden has sent his lawyers to federal courts to sue Texas for taking action to secure their border. Point number two, Biden has instructed his agencies to ignore federal statutes that mandate the detention of illegal immigrants. The effect is to illegally allow their en masse parole into the United States. Number three, by wasting taxpayer dollars to tear open Texas's border security infrastructure, Biden has enticed illegal immigrants away from the 28 legal entry points along this state's southern border, bridges where nobody drowns, and into the dangerous waters of the Rio Grande. Under Biden's lawless border policies, more than 6 million illegal immigrants have crossed our border, our southern border, in Texas, in just three years. That is more than the population of 33 different states in this country. This illegal refusal to protect the states has inflicted unprecedented harm on the people all across the U.S. James Madison, Alexander Hamilton, and the other visionaries who wrote the U.S. Constitution foresaw that states should not be left to the mercy of a lawless president who does nothing to stop external threats like cartels smuggling millions of illegal immigrants across the border. That is why the framers included both Article 4, Section 4, which promises that the federal government, quote, shall protect each state against invasion, and Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which acknowledges that the state's sovereign interest in protecting their borders, and this would be Arizona versus the United States from 2012, um, Scalia. The failure of the Biden administration to fulfill the duties imposed by Article 4, Section 4, has triggered Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, which reserves to this state the right of self-defense. For these reasons, I've already declared an invasion under Article 1, Section 10, Clause 3, to invoke Texas's constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. That authority is the supreme law of the land and supersedes any federal statutes to the contrary. The Texas National Guard, the Texas Department of Public Safety, and other Texas personnel are acting on that authority, as well as the state law to secure the Texas border. What a good governor he is. Texas will not back down. Governor Abbott slams Supreme Court order reportedly installs more razor wire. So this was a couple days before. In fact, one day before uh, Governor Abbott um, released that memo. And I salute him. This is from Zero Hedge by Tyler Durden. And he says, Texas Governor Greg Abbott hit back against the Supreme Court's Monday ruling allowing Biden's Border Patrol to cut the razor wire that the state had installed along the U.S.-Mexico border while a broader lawsuit over the wire plays out. Quote, the Texas National Guard continues to hold the line in Eagle Pass, he posted on X, Abbott, Governor Abbott posted on X Tuesday morning. Texas will not back down. And then there are quite a few uh, tweets on X um, that are very, very interesting. 
Texas Razor Wire, one of them, is an effective deterrent to the illegal crossings he encourages. I will continue to defend Texas's constitutional authority to secure the border. Um, so they're installing more razor wire, apparently. Charlie Kirk tweeted this, the Texas National Guard responds to the Supreme Court order to remove the razor wire. Texas will not back down. So that word illegal has been removed from um, uh, immigration because you hear the word immigration. You don't hear illegal anymore so much. It is still every bit as illegal as it always was. Here's another X tweet. Arizona built a shipping container wall. Texas built buoy walls and razor wires. The Biden administration sued both states and forced them to remove it. The only time Biden takes action on the invasion is to block states from stopping it. And there are a few more here. So that is really worth watching. That is going on, like I said, in the great state of Texas. Here's another one. Illegal immigrants can fly without ID under Biden administration. And flying, I haven't flown in a long time. It has become so unpleasant. But this is a whole new level of unacceptable. And it says, President Joe Biden's Transportation Security Administration, TSA, is reportedly working with Customs and Border Protection, CBP, to allow illegal immigrants to fly without proper identification. Oh, could it be because they don't have it? Prompting backlash from U.S. citizens who are required to show ID in order to travel at U.S. airports. The New York Post reported that while the U.S. citizens are required to show a passport or a valid form of ID to travel by plane, both domestically and internationally, signs at various airports claim that the TSA and CBP are working together to enable illegal immigrants to travel without traditional ID. Podcast host Dave Rubin shared a picture of one of the TSA signs last week on X. And the sign says, TSA is partnering with CBP to test the use of CBP-1 at certain TSA checkpoints to validate adult non-U.S. citizen travel documentation when the traveler does not otherwise have an acceptable form of identification. I think in Wisconsin here, we recently have had to upgrade everything so that we can fly with a certain kind of ID. I don't know why they even bother. If they knew this was the end game, why bother? Except I imagine the global ID is the next thing on the list. But anyway, the article goes on to say, the TSA sign explains it is optional for illegal immigrants to have their picture taken by a TSA officer and that the TSA will not store the immigrants' information but will only use it to verify information provided to CBP through their app, CBP-1. Rubin slammed the Biden administration over the TSA's new policy, saying this is the state of absolute insanity happening at our airports. I'm in the pre-TSA line where migrants don't have to have an ID to get through security, and it's their choice whether they want their picture taken. This is a plan to destroy America. Former CBP Chief Patrol Agent Chris Clem expressed concerns regarding this policy under the Biden admin to the New York Post, warning there are so many questions we have we don't have answers to to be concerned about. He says, I'm an American citizen and I'm quite offended that these migrants have come in here are getting pre- that these migrants who have come in here are getting preferential treatment and being prioritized in so many ways. The rest of us are paying the price at the gas pump and grocery stores. Tax is going up, but the U.S. is continuing to bring masses of people in. While the CBP-1 app requires illegal immigrants who use the platform when they enter the U.S. to be photographed and have fingerprints taken during the interview process, 
Clem warns that law enforcement has limited information regarding any of the individuals. You think? Yeah. I think that's a really good reason not to fly, but I know a lot of you have to. A lot of people still have to. But The other one this is I find interesting on this particular subject. New York City is re-gifting migrants to Minnesota. The Minneapolis Star Tribune has a headline yesterday noting that Minnesota is among the top states to which New York City is redirecting its excess illegal immigrant arrivals. The Star Tribune writes, Minnesota has emerged as a top destination for migrants accepting free plane tickets, which they don't need an ID for, to leave New York City as homeless shelters there strain to house a record surge of asylum seekers. Data released by the city shows that over roughly the past two years, 1,177 migrants have taken tickets to Minnesota, the fifth most popular destination, despite winters, I'm guessing. The Star Tribune notes that these new arrivals are adding to the record backlog at the local immigration court. There are 35,443 pending cases awaiting the state's immigration court. That's a little overloaded, I would guess. So I'm guessing nothing's going to happen with the majority of that. But they face, it says here, they face um, those 35,000 faced potential deportation at some point in the far distant future. By sheer coincidence, roughly 35,000 corresponds to the number of net international migrants arriving in Minnesota in recent years, according to the Census Bureau figures. And the new arrivals join a foreign-born population in Minnesota that already exceeds a half a million. So um, New York, now that's an absolute disaster. They are taking kids out of school, sending them home, telling them to study at home while the immigrants are taking their place in the schools. I, I This kind of uh, insanity completely boggles my mind. I, I, I don't even know where to go with that except to tell you, um, keep your eyes on that. Because, And I talked to, uh, see what I talked to this week about this, the terrorists that are coming across the border. It's, it's, it's just a perfect storm of all kinds of things, sleeper cells, um, Muslim terrorists, uh, terrorists from Iran. I, I just, as I think about the tribulation period and, and how the Bible describes it as a time like no other, we must be awfully close. I'm, I'm just uh, totally amazed at where we're at and how difficult it is to keep up with everything. Uh, oof, Leo Holman has an article here, and we have time for this. Digital kill switches, how tyrannical governments stifle political dissent. So we're going to take a deep breath here, and remember God is on the throne. Remember, he has a timetable. This is an incredible time to be alive. And we are seeing things that, you know, people say, I, I would have liked to have been alive when Jesus came the first time. I think this is just an incredible privilege to see these things and to have read and studied about these things and to understand it is happening. And when people say, all in Peter, they say, scoffers say, all things continue as they were since creation. They're kidding themselves. They aren't, they aren't even paying the slightest bit of attention, but they also deny that God did judge with water and he will judge with fire. Uh, so people who scoff and say, you know, this isn't going to happen, they are paying absolutely zero attention. So even if you take one or two of these things going on in the world or Israel or, or you know, global money system, global government, global spirituality, just, just take those things and you know that you know that we are living in very unique times. But it's exciting. 
So I had to take that little little break in there before we get to this digital kill switches, how tyrannical governments stifle political dissent. This is on Leo Homan's page, leohoman.com. But this is a guest post by John Whitehead, who is brilliant. What's to stop the U.S. government from throwing the kill switch and shutting down phone and Internet communications in a time of so-called crisis? It's happening all over the world, he says. Communications kill switches have become tyrannical tools of domination and oppression to stifle political dissent, shut down resistance, forestall election losses, reinforce military coups, and keep the populace isolated, disconnected and in the dark, literally and figuratively. The Guardian reports, quote, from Ukraine to Myanmar, government-run Internet outages are picking up pace around the world. In 2021, there were 182 shutdowns in 34 countries. Countries across Africa and Asia have turned to shutdowns in a bid to control behavior, while India, largely in the conflict-ridden region of Jammu and Kashmir, plunged into digital darkness more times than any other year. Civil unrest in Ethiopia and Kazakhstan has triggered Internet shutdowns as governments try to prevent political mobilization and stop news about political about military suppression from emerging. John Whitehead goes on to say, in an Internet-connected age, killing the Internet is tantamount to bringing everything, communications, commerce, travel, the power grid, to a standstill. Tyrants and would-be tyrants rely on this cloak of darkness to advance their agendas. In Myanmar, for example, the Internet shutdown came on the day a newly elected government was to have been sworn in. That's when the military staged a digital coup and seized power. Under cover of a communications blackout that cut off the populace from the outside world and each other, that's important, the junta carried out nightly raids, smashing down doors to drag out high-profile politicians, activists, and celebrities. And this is something that could happen. I don't see these things, I see these things as a tool. I don't see them as long-term because um, in order for people to take the mark and for people to, for them to spy 24-7 on everyone, uh, and for people to be able to buy and sell or do anything digital, have a digital ID, it can't be a long-term thing unless you're trying to end a country. You know, if you were to do um, a smart bomb or a suitcase bomb, you know, and just cut off an entire country to destroy them, you would because it takes years, years to rebuild an infrastructure. And I think the hour is too late for that. So I think this is going to be a temporary thing. Um, these government-imposed communications, back to John Whitehead, uh, shutdowns serve to not only isolate, terrorize, and control, but also underscore the citizenry's lack of freedom in the face of government's limitless power. Very daunting. University of California Irvine law professor David Kay explained, these kill switches are no longer exclusive to despotic regimes. They have, quote, migrated into a toolbox for governments that actually do have the rule of law. This is what digital authoritarianism, also called a technocracy, which we've been talking about on here for a long time, thanks to Patrick Wood's incredible um, years-long research that he has done. Again, this is what digital authoritarianism, called a technocracy, looks like in a technological age. As the Center for Strategic and International Studies cautions, um, digital authoritarianism involves the use of information technology to surveil, repress, manipulate, endanger human rights and civil liberties, and co-opt and corrupt the foundational principles of democratic and open societies, including the freedom of movement, 
the right to speak freely and express political dissent, and the right to personal privacy online and off. And if you think it can't happen here. In 2005, cell service was disabled in four major New York tunnels reportedly to avert potential bomb detonations via cell phone. Okay, that's using technology for good. But I'm, I'm guessing that more often than not, it'll be for absolute evil. In 2009, those attending Obama's inauguration had their cell signals blocked. Again, same rationale. In 2011, San Francisco commuters had their cell phone signals shut down, this time to thwart possible protests over a police shooting. With shutdowns becoming harder to detect, who's to say it's not still happening? So it may still be happening. We just aren't hearing about it. John Whitehead goes on to say, although an internet kill switch is broadly understood to be a complete internet shutdown, it can include a broad, it can also include a broad range of restrictions, including content blocking, throttling, filtering, complete shutdowns, cable cutting. Global Risk says content blocking is a relatively moderate method that blocks access to a list of selected websites or applications. When users access these sites and apps, they receive a notification that the server could not be found or that they were denied access. A more subtle method is throttling. Authorities decrease the bandwidth to slow down the speed at which specific websites can be accessed. And they got a bag full of tricks, don't they? A slow internet connection discourages users to connect to certain websites, but doesn't arouse immediate suspicion. Users may assume that connection service is slow, but may not conclude that this circumstance was authorized by the government. Also filtering another tool to censor targeted content and erase specific Messages that the government does not approve of. So, a kill switch. Also, if people have a mark in their hand or forehead and is connected to everything, I think there's a potential kill switch there so, um, so that you cease to be able to work and eat and get on with your life. Um, there's going to be all manner of encroachments on our freedoms, you know, lockdowns, mandates, you know, all this uh, talking about disease acts and all this talking about uh, uh, the WHO, uh, contact tracing programs, heightened surveillance, censorship, shadow banning, which Q90 has been shadow banned for a long time now. Elections, there's elections coming up, folks. We can only imagine we just need the right crisis for the use, to use that kill switch. And so this is just ongoing madness. I know some of this is new to you. Some may not be new to you. Um, but I think we are looking at and who knows when? The whole idea here, and all this with these headline programs, is that you would be ready. It's not to scare anybody, but you do want to sit down with your kids and talk about what's going on in the world. You do want to, as, as much as they're able at, depending how old they are, to give them an understanding of what's going on. And um, as a family, uh, to have a plan, to pray together, uh, so that you're not caught off guard by all these things. Because we live in just incredible times. And I hope that is the number one thing that you come away with when you hear these headlines. I personally would rather they not be bad news or uh, the trickery and conniving and strong delusion that we're looking at, but we need to be sober-minded. We need to understand how late the hour is, and if, if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. So thank you so much for tuning in. Um, we have upcoming Monday, Jason Jimenez. That's a replay. Tuesday is J.B. Hickson. We also have Julaine Appling next week, so I'm looking forward to that very, very much. Uh, we also have uh, Stand Up For The Truth, wonderful podcast guests. So go to standupforthetruth.com and click guests and you can listen to the latest. 
So that's it for the headlines, and that's it for another week on Stand Up For The Truth. And I'd like to reinforce now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power, both now and forever. Amen. Have a great weekend.